The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Welcome to the middle of winter. Uh, statistically, it is exactly the middle of winter for Iowa City. It's between January 15th and January 20th. So we're right there at the middle of winter. So just think you're on your way down now. Um, we are in this wonderful series on evangelism. And evangelism, the, the first week that we talked about it, the need to pray, to pray. And then last week, Doug Fern talked about to care, pray, care. And today we're talking about share. What is it that we want to share? What's the goal in the whole thing anyway? Well, the goal, Romans 5.1, since we've been justified faith, it's to have peace with God. I mean, that's, that's the whole thrust of evangelism, that people will be at peace with God. People are at or either at odds with God or enemies with God. What does it take to be at peace? Key passage, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to go through real quickly. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Here's some key words, and we're going to define them in just a minute. Of the gospel which I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That, and here, here's some of the, the information of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and the second major part, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Now, that passage is there. You've got it in your notes, and we're going to refer back to it. Let me give you some definitions real quickly. The first one is, the good news, good news. Now, I put the Greek word there, not for you to know it. I'm just going to show you how they look the same. This word and the next word, they're going to look very much the same. That's the only thing I want you to see here. The good news, it's, it literally is good message. It's a good message. It's used 77 times in the New Testament, 61 times by the Apostle Paul, and almost always it's translated as gospel good message. The next word is evangelize. Do you notice how the words are almost gospel and then evangelize? But they're almost exactly the same. It's used 50, 55 times, and it really means to announce this good news, to, to share the good news. A lot of times it's used in combination with this word caruso or to herald the good news, to proclaim it. You see that in Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So if that's, if we, we understand what the gospel is, we understand what evangelism and how they're tied together, evangelize is tied together, what is evangelism? Evangelism is proclaiming this good message with the intention Here's the difference. It's with the intention of persuading the hearer to put their faith or trust in Jesus Christ. Or it might be a word that was used in the past, sometimes in some translations. It's not a very attractive word, especially to the younger generation. It's the word convert. The, the purpose of evangelism is to convert. It's from the Latin word conversus, to, to get a person to turn about so it's in conjunction with a word we might use as repentance, uh, pentir, penitence, sorrow, grief, regret. And then once a person feels regret and sorrow, they want to turn about, which is all combined in, in the Greek word for, for repentance. 
So evangelism contains two things. Evangelism clearly contains information, but it also contains an invitation. What is the information of the good message? What is this gospel? So I just, I really want to thank one of my professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's been there for years. I just missed him. His name is Daryl Bach. Huge influence on all the younger guys coming out. Uh, uh, Malone uh, was heavily influenced by him. Foster loves him. Just incredible uh, understanding of the languages, of the Bible. And, he, and what I'm getting, and I've got to tell you how excited I am because for, for a long time, I've sort of understood the gospel, what, what Daryl Bach would call half the gospel, not the whole gospel, but half the gospel. And I think you'll understand, especially people closer to my generation would understand half the gospel real well, and maybe not the whole gospel really well. So let me, let me talk about that, because here's the dilemma. The dilemma is if we present and display half the gospel, we get people to make a decision and check the box. But it's the bookends of the gospel that answers the question, where does that decision take you? We're really good at, here's what you need to believe and check and agree to. But we also, the gospel also answers the question, where does the decision take you? That's part of the good message. So Bach says, it's so much more helpful, especially for the younger generation, to understand the full gospel. The full gospel has four major components, and it starts with the creation. Genesis 1 to 2, Romans 1 to 3, that God created the universe. It was all very good. He created the universe. It was good. He created Adam. He created Eve. Uh, all of it was, was very, very good. All of the creation was intended to bring God glory. Then Genesis chapter 3, oh, that's 1 and 2, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 3, the second part of the gospel is something happened. That's the fall. That we decided to trust in our own wisdom rather than God. And the result was everything is now cursed. Man's relationship to, to woman. Man's relationship to God. Our relationship to creation it's all groaning now under a curse. So if you don't get that, we will never be a good witness to the younger generation. So it starts with creation. He created the universe. He created the world. He created us. And it was all very good. The fall corrupted everything. Third, redemption. Now, I was really good at the redemption part. The story of the Bible, the message, the solution, God's solution for, for sin. I read that in 1 Corinthians 15. So you can look back there real quickly. It is something that this good news is continually declared. Verse 11 talks about it in the present indicative active sense that it's something that he continually preaches. But it's also something that the recipient would receive. Aris indicative. At a moment in time, a person receives this, church, this truth, but they remain standing in the truth, perfect indicative active. In other words, they receive it and they continue along in that reception of the truth. But it also contains two very clear components. The first component is that Christ died. Christ died. He died for our sins, according to the scripture. And the proof was his burial. 
The second major component to the gospel is that Christ arose, third day according to the scriptures, and the proof of the resurrection was the fact that he appeared. He appeared, he was seen by Cephas in the 12. So the information of the gospel by which we are saved is very clear. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he arose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, seen by, seen by many. Information of the gospel. But that's the third element of the good news. If you understand that it starts with creation and then a fall, the good news also has to bring it all together. And the good news continues that redemption, if redemption is the door into the good news, then this next section of reconciliation and restoration, or you could call it recreation, answers the question, where does the decision to trust Christ take you? See the difference? It continues. It says, here's the door in, redemption. Where does that decision to trust Christ, where will it take you? All this is from God, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, that's step three, and gave to us now, step four, this ministry of reconciling, reconciling man back to God, but it doesn't even end there. So a lot of our relationships where we're called to be salt and light and being salt and light, it gives us the picture to the world that, hey, we need to be reconciled to God. That husband-wife relationship, pictures to the world. It gives a redemption picture to the world. Oh, this is what life should be like. And, it, and, and it's an illustration that, hey, you need to be reconciled to God. But it doesn't end there even. Because Paul even continues in Romans, and, and by, Romans is so critical. And by the way, for those of you who are in uh, the Romans Parkview U class, that starts next week, third hour in the chapel. So uh, just put that on your little reminder list for those who are in that class. And we're starting right there in Romans 8. Uh, that creation itself, remember, in the fall, in the fall, creation was corrupted as well. And Paul talks about how even now creation is groaning to be released from this. The whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until, until now. So the second book into the gospel, the first book in is what was it like before the fall? And the second book into the gospel says we're, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. So within our lives, we picture what it means to be salt in life. Within our marriages, we picture what it means uh, to be believers. And that helps prompt people for the need for reconciliation. But also in our lives, it, it also means the picture of restoration is that I am compelled, and the book of Proverbs is filled with it. What is the hakmah, the, the wisdom of God? What does it mean to glorify God? And, and, and Proverbs is filled with that, that we need to be compassionate, the, the New Testament epistles as well. We need to be compassionate to the poor. We need, we need to comfort the distressed. We need to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, defend the defenseless. Uh, even, even in Proverbs uh, chapter, see, it's, it's going back to the recreation. That's why, look at the miracles Jesus did. Almost every miracle is like a picture of recreation. He calms the seas. He raises the dead. You know, he does, he does all of these things. Um, so for us, when we engage in those things that Proverbs would call the very wisdom of God, we 
picture to the world around us what it means to be redeemed. Even in Proverbs, I was shocked as I started studying it. Even in Proverbs, it says that the wise man in Proverbs chapter 12, and and let let me just say, this is so new for me. I mean, I sound like a liberal now. I really do. And it's, it's almost shocking to me. Uh, it's almost scary a little bit. Uh, like Proverbs 12.10 says that somebody who's filled with the spirit of chakma, wisdom, who, who looks like God, treats animals kindly. I sound like Peter now. Uh, but in Proverbs 29, the wicked, the kasil and the avil, fools, treat their animals harshly. Isn't that amazing? That, and I would, let me just say, to the younger generation, you're sharing the gospel, but if you're kicking your dog and punching your cat and, you know, just have total disregard for the poor, for the depressed, for the hurting, uh, they're not going to want much of your gospel. They're not going to want much of your message. So just like in your life, as you love people, as you care for people, creation-wise, if you also love and care and take care of, because in the creation, we were called to administer creation. We were, we, we were called to be good to and to take care of, to give an authority over creation. Okay? So anyway, I'll get off of that hobby horse. It's just a, ch- it's a challenge, especially to my generation, okay? Because we tend to so narrowly look at the gospel. So the, now that's the information. What's the invitation? The invitation is, man, why are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you. And we're bringing to you the, the good news that you should turn from these things, turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth. And, and notice how he goes right back to the creation. Turn to the living God, and he brings in creation. Heaven and earth and the sea and everything that's in the sea. So Paul has no problem there. Even Agrippa, in uh, Acts 26, I love this. Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? So even Agrippa got that evangelism is not just sharing your faith. So so it's one thing to say, oh, I just want to tell people about Jesus, that's wonderful. The redemption story is wonderful, but evangelism is actually telling it with the intent of trying to persuade that person to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and then turn about, turn about. That's the persuasion part. Agrippa, Agrippa knew it. So evangelism is proclaiming the gospel with the intention of persuading the hearer to place their faith, their trust in Christ. So what are some of the approaches? You know, again, Jesus, oh man. If we, <laughs> every person Jesus talks to in the, through the Gospels, it's different. You know, whether it be the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Nicodemus, the man born blind, the apostle Paul, he, he of course, he knows their heart perfectly, so he knows how, exactly how to address them. So the information is going to be the same. The information of the gospel, cognitive information that you can get and communicate is going to be the same, but the wrapping, the setting could look very different depending on who that person is, their background, maybe their their. Um, you know, where, where they are uh, in life. Um, so it could look very different. All I'm going to say is that the older generation, it's for the older generation, Doug Fern touched on it last week, it's a whole lot easier for the older generation to, 
to appreciate the fact that there's authoritative truth. Uh, we don't wrestle with pluralism, relativism, globalization. We don't wrestle with some of those issues. So we can go right more to a more, we can go, we can jump right into the, to the uh, redemptive part, the fall part, the redemptive part pretty quickly. But we, we tend to do it uh, more formulaic. We have a more formulaic approach to sharing the gospel. To the younger generation, the younger generation, I, I just think it's far more effective, far more effective if it's open-ended, if it's more, uh, Daryl Bach would use the term web-based, more picture-oriented than ABCT. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed it. You've probably never noticed it in my sermons, sermon notes. I tend to have like Roman numeral one, Roman numeral two. You ever see that ABC? I don't know. If, nobody's probably ever noticed that. But I tend to be more formulaic in my approach. <laughs> but when you share the gospel with a younger generation, more pictures tend to communicate a whole lot better. But however, however you do it, it's got to come in the context of a very loving and caring uh, relationship. Uh, don't you dare uh, enter into that conversation and uh, be critical of their lifestyle and claim that you're offering a better lifestyle. You know, that's, and we'll, I'll talk about that in ju just a second, but that's, that's like blaming a room for being dark. Like walking into a room and it's dark and, gee, how could this room be so dark? No, the more valid question is, why didn't somebody turn the light on, right? So a lot of times what we'll do is, you know, we, let, let me just get there in a, in a second, but we need to be very careful about that. Um, and then have your life, when they see your life, they see your love for them, they see your care for them, they see the respect that you have for the poor, for, for animals, for, for the creation. I mean, they just see that. It's all a coherent picture to them. And they can put up with your idiosyncrasies. They can put up with the fact that, you know, I look like a dork. They can put up with some of those things as long as the, the meat of who you are is in sync with them. Pray for the Holy Spirit in our weakness. Pray that the Holy Spirit will intercede. Pray that he'll give us uh, the words. That's the unction of the Spirit. You pray for that. We, we started the whole service on there. Let me give you an example. This is a com an actual conversation that I had with my neighbor uh, just a few weeks ago. And it sort of gives a younger generation, sort of gives a, the picture of, it's got to be enmeshed in life itself, communicating the gospel. And uh, so my neighbor... Uh, they're big baseball fans, and uh, across the street, I mean, they, they, know, they know the whole deal with the baseball stuff. So anyway, uh, it was before the first snow, and I'm out on my little lawn tractor with a bagger on the back getting up the leaves off of our yard. So I got all that done. I thought, huh, neighbor hadn't done theirs yet. I'll just, I'll just do the neighbors. And I, I do it all the time whenever I do Johnny and Jesse's grass. I usually do ours and do the neighbors on this side, do the neighbors on that side. I don't care. I like doing grass. So anyway, so I, I was doing the, the leaves. So I think a house is going up for sale next to us in a few weeks. <laughs> if you don't like to, I'll do it for you. Anyway, so I was doing the, doing the leaves for the neighbor. And uh, all of a sudden, she comes out on her tractor and she drives up to me. She said, oh, Jeff, I am so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I should have had this done. I said, oh, no, don't, please. I didn't do this 
to embarrass you. I, I just, I like doing it. You know, it, it's fun. So you know, we shut our engines off and I'm sitting on my tractor. She's sitting on her tractor. She said, oh, by the way, did you, get to, did you get to go to the World Series? I said, yeah. I said, oh man, it was so awesome. It was so much fun. She said, and she asked a few questions. I said, you know what the, what the most fun thing was for me? The whole World Series. It, it wasn't watching Ben play. It wasn't that they won. wasn't any of that stuff. The most fun thing for me was that Rosie and Eric, uh, Eric uh, Rosie is our daughter number two, lives up in Marion, said Rosie and Eric had just adopted the two kids from the Congo. And of course, she knew that story. That it had been a three-year process, you know, and it's, I won't, I won't even go into, you know, just the tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars that, transpired going through this whole deal. I said, well, you know, Rosie and Eric just got the kids from the Congo two weeks ago and they brought them to the World Series. She said, really? I said, yeah. I said, now, and you've got to understand, these two kids had never, had never taken a bath before. They had never slept in a bed before. They had never, uh, they had never even walked up steps before. And here they are two weeks later. They're in the stadium in Kansas City at the World Series. And I, and I said, just, just think, when, when Eric went to Zambia to get them, for the first time in their lives, they slept in a bed. This is after walking for days to get here. And I won't tell you the story of what it took to get them. I mean, they, were, they had been kidnapped. They had been, it was just, the most horrid thing you could ever imagine. It was just terrible. But uh, so anyway, so now they're at the World Series. I mean, steps, they'd never been up steps. They had never seen a, a jumbotron. They'd never seen anything bigger than a little screen. And they're looking at this. They had never ever, they were freaked out at fireworks. Here they are. There's a little Gideon. He's got his binoculars backwards. But there's... <laughs> They don't speak English. They don't speak English. So there's Gideon and there's little Lizzie and there's uh, Juliana and, and Rosie with, with, uh, with a little Lizzie. And, um, you know, and I, so I'm telling my neighbor this whole story and I said, you know, you know what I loved about it? And she said, what's that? And I said, to me, it's a picture of what it means to be rightly related to God. It, it's a picture to me of what, just a small picture of what heaven is probably like. I knew she had just lost her father, you know, not too long ago. I said, it's a small picture of what heaven would be like. I mean, to, to go from an evil, corrupt world system with no parents, no father, no one to really love or to care for you, and nothing of your own, nothing of your own. There's a father in a far distant land who is planning and preparing and loving and, and spending, you know, <laughs> sparing no expense to do whatever this loving father could do to, to go and to take these children, again, undeserving, nothing, nothing in, in themselves that warranted it, and now to adopt them into a whole new family with a loving father and a loving family so they're in community with brothers and sisters. And I said, that's what it means to be a Christian. There's an incredible price that had been paid. Jesus died for us so that we could be rightly related to God, put in a new family, with other people very different from ourselves 
but have an inheritance, etc. So that was a story I told. And for that generation, she's sitting on her lawn, tra- lawn tractor, weeping as I was telling this story. So try and whatever situation that the person is, and then there, there's some, Scott's going to give you a wonderful way. It would have been great for me at that point to have pulled out a piece of paper and gone through what you're going to go through. Because again, evangelism is, isn't just telling a story. It's, I want to pers- help you make a decision. So I'd have been a whole lot better off to have had that picture you're going to give in just a minute to, to complete. So what's some of the information you want to share? Let me quickly give you the Roman road, real quick. Oh boy, I'm over. Um, uh, Roman road, God's perfection, God's perfection. Roman starts this way, Genesis starts this way. God is perfect, God is glorious, God is holy. The problem is we've fallen short. We have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, And (laughs) to fall short, to, to sin, we've sinned and fallen short, to sin that word just means to miss the target. That's all it means. It is a non-moral word. To miss the target is non-moral. I think this is where my generation really misses the boat because what we want to do is assign our list to what it means to be a sinner. I don't know if you heard Ted Cruz. I think he lost the whole potential of being nominated as a Republican candidate with one stupid, stupid statement calling New York, you know, the, the values of New York is filled with blank, blank, and blank. I'm thinking that is, there's zero understanding of what the gospel is there because the gospel is anything that falls short of the glory of God. You know, and, and you know, my generation or what I want to do, I want to plug it in with my list. You know, the nasty nine, the dirty dozen. I don't, smeak, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run around with girls that do. You know, and every generation is going to plug in its little list. But how about plugging in the other things that miss the glory of God? Did you know that God commands us to give thanks in all things, even in your suffering? Do you know that the the gospel also tells us not to complain, not to have any anxiety or worry? The Bible also commands us to be content in all situations. That misses the glory of God just as much as your stinking list does. So, So don't go to somebody, especially in another generation, and dump your don't do list on them and call them sinners. I, I'm already over, so I can't get into it. Uh, anyway, so write that one down. What's our problem? What's our problem? The penalty for the wages, and Scott will talk about the wages of sin, what you earn for it is death. And that's, that's spiritually what happens. Not only are we physically separated from body and soul, physical death, but spiritual death, we're separated from God. Now, somebody might say, but, but Jeff, I experience God. I, I can go to the beach and experience God. I can go to the mountains and experience God. Well, well, yeah. 
in a sense, you're exactly right. And I thought the best picture to give, I was driving over to Johnny and Jesse's and I went right by Stella's. My favorite Burnside hamburger is at Stella's. So I was driving to Stella's and I smelled, the window was down, down, and I could smell the smell of cooking hamburger coming from Stella's. And I looked in the window and you could see the lights, you could see the people having fellowship. And, and I thought, man, I just want to slam on the brakes, go in and grab a hamburger quick. Because the smells and the sights were pulling me. That's what it means to be separated from God. But I couldn't get to the hamburger. I couldn't get to the fellowship. I couldn't get to the hamburger. But the sights and the smells were pulling me. That's what the world is. It's that you having a good relationship with your husband and wife together is like the smells and sights of Stella's. Me, you know, treating an animal with respect or, or recycling my trash or, or helping the poor or, or going to the aid of the defenseless is a smell that is intended to draw people. It makes them want to get into Stella's. That's, that's the point. That's the common grace for the, for the common good. But the problem is, if all of a sudden I want to go into Stella's, if I try and get into Stella's, I can't get in. Why? It's because God is absolutely holy. And if I were to go in with anything, even, even a little greed, you know, let's say I've got the nasty nine dirty dozen, okay, but here's some other, I, I'm not giving thanks in all things. I am worrying about stuff. I am complaining. I am being critical. I can't get in. I would disintegrate if I tried to get in the presence of a holy and righteous God with that stuff on my plate. So what's the answer? What's the solution? D, uh, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still missing the mark, Whatever that is for you, Christ died for us. So uh, while we're there, he dies for us. So this is what we persuade. The response is, the response, and you can read it in Romans 10, 13 to 14, those four key words here, you gotta understand what the claims of the gospel are. You gotta believe that Christ died. He rose again from the dead. You have to call, that's the expression of faith. Scott will show you what that means. And then there's the preacher. In other words, it's just somebody, that's the full gospel circle, somebody involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody now wanting to communicate that to another individual. So, and then what does the gospel call us to do? We then get involved in the ministry of reconciliation. You know, we partner with God to image forth to the world, whether it be through our marriages whether it be to a whole creation that's groaning to be released, you know, we're salt and light to the world around us. But, but more than that, I'm praying for Iowa City. I mean, you think, I don't know about Iowa. I hear people, I, my generation in particular, oh, Iowa City is so gross. You know, the people are so perverted in Iowa City. Well, you know what the prophet Jeremiah urged the, the believers who are in captivity to do? He knew that those believers in Babylon, this is the worst of the worst cities, the most corrupt. They were led by despots. Jeremiah said, look, you believers who are now uh, in, in, in this foreign country, your job is to pray for the city to flourish. Now I'll tell you what, if Jeremiah could urge those believers 
to pray for Babylon to flourish. Why? It's because the common, the common grace issues are so compelling to people. It's the smells of Stella's. It's releasing the smell of Stella into the world around them. Or in Zechariah 14, 21, even the cooking pots are holy to the Lord. See, that's the common grace for the common good. I don't know if you realize this, but whatever God has called you to right now, that, that is the greatest ministry you could possibly have. You know, I, I think, unfortunately, we tend to want to draw dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. You know, we tend to want to do that. But no, your calling, your vocation, vacare, uh, to call, that's your calling. God has you there, and you are to be an aroma to the people that you work with. So if you're a surgeon at the hospital, you know, one of the greatest pictures that you have is that, that, that you love healing, that you love caring, that, that you're taking care of people. You know, there was a, a farmer in the first service. You know, I, I, I turned to, to Marlon. And, you know, one of the things that he does is that he can display through his vocation, through his calling, that, God, that God's the one ultimately uh, that provides. You know, I, uh, here's a lawyer. You know, what better way can you, can you communicate to the world around you that God is a God of justice and law, righteousness, you know, so in every vocation, whatever God has called you to, and, and so I love Zechariah 14, 21, the co- even, even something as simple as the cooking pots are holy to the Lord. So whether or not you're a carpenter or a cook or a cardiologist, that is your calling, your vocation, and that is the arena in which you most greatly get to, to image forth the glory of God to the world around you. Well, how in the world do you communicate all of this very simply? Well, that's Scott's job. So Scott, why don't you come up and you can communicate it. My name's Scott. I'm the college pastor at Parkview. And so uh, hopefully, uh, right, I've learned well from my students and we're tech savvy enough to make this thing work on the iPad and you can see it. Okay. So um, like Jeff said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share uh, just one illustration. It's like a tool in your tool belt. In order to be ambassadors of Christ, that's what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We need to have a lot of tools in our tool belt. And uh, one thing that in our community group that I've been challenged in as we've rolled through this material of prayer and care is that we need to love uh, people more than we love evangelism. I think that's got to be key. As ambassadors of Christ, we've got to love people more than evangelism because otherwise, this illustration that I'm about to teach you will come on people and it'll drop on them like a formula and it'll be heavy and it won't be good news. But if we love people enough, we'll know when to bring it into conversation. If we love the gospel and we're experts in the gospel, like Jeff said, we'll know how to form it and we'll know how to say it in a way that, that lays hope on their lives. And so, uh, here we go. We're going to look at the bridge illustration. And up here I've got uh, on my iPad, uh, it takes this one verse, Romans 6.23, and it breaks it down uh, in manageable terms for people. It takes phrases that are kind of Bible-ish, right? And, it ha- and you can help them understand it uh, in their context. So, uh, let's give this a try. I've even got a little thing to write on my iPad here. Here we go. So uh, if I was doing this with someone, what I would do first is I would get the Bible in their hands because what we believe is that um, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives you and me understanding when we read the Bible. 
And so why wouldn't we want to get the scriptures in the hands of other people and just ask the Holy Spirit to do work? And so uh, even as I'd start this illustration, what I'd do is I'd hand my Bible to my friend. Uh, I'd say, hey, can you read this verse for me? What it does is it just breaks down this verse. And I'd have him read it to me once or twice because it does take a while to write this out. It's the reason why I typed up the verse before we started today. And even in those couple of times they read it, what if the Holy Spirit would bring light to this and shed light on it so that they would understand this scripture a little bit better? And so they'd read it to me and then I'd say, okay, let's just start with the um, first word that seems like it might take a little help to understand uh, in, a, in a biblical sense. And so we'd start with wages, okay? And I'd circle that for them. And I'd write it over here on the left hand of the illustration. I'll show you why uh, we have what we have later. I'll tell them uh, that it's like this, but let's just start talking about wages. And I'd enter in a conversation about a job they'd had for college students. I always ask them, what'd you do last summer? You know, what job did you have? Uh, and then I'll ask them, how would you feel if the farmer you worked for bailing hay last summer uh, at the end of the month says, man, Scott, we just, we just don't have it in, we don't have it right now. Uh, so you can't get uh, the, your paycheck at the end of the month. How would you feel about that? Well, they'd say, well, I'd, I'd be pretty ticked off, you know, because that's something I earned. I worked for it. I deserve this. Well, I'd write down some of those phrases they said, that they deserve it or that they earned it because that's what a wage is, right? It's something that we earn for something that we've done. We want them to keep that in their minds. I'd jot that down under wages. Then we'd move on to the next word, sin, okay? This is the one in our context and in our culture, this is going to take the most unpacking for people in Iowa City, for the people in your workplace, for your family, for your friends. Uh, So oftentimes uh, with students, I will point to, rather than like Jeff said, pointing to the dirty dozen or the nasty nine, I'll point to the guy on uh, the Pentecost that comes out and he judges the heck out of everybody. And he'll say, all fornicators are going to hell. Because the Bible, and they don't, a lot of times they don't know this about the Bible, but the Bible says that for us to judge people outside of God's church is sin. And so that, that touches base with them. And, and I'll help them uh, to think about this illustration that Jeff said, uh, hamartia, use an archery illustration. And you could draw it right there next to the sin and say, God's created us in such a way that he wants us to live for his glory. And any time we miss the bullseye, do you know what that's called in archery? And most people don't know anything about archery. I'll say it's called a sin, even in archery today. That's what it's called. And so when we miss the mark, you want to paint that picture for people, but you also want to touch base with them and help them to think about sin in a way that maybe they never thought about it before because they only thought about it as this list. And so we'll talk about that. And then I'll circle the the last word on the left side and we'll talk about death. And you could write this out for somebody on your napkin or on the piece of paper you're using. And uh, what you want to point out is that this is a spiritual death. You could look at uh, in Genesis 3 when Jeff talked about the fall. You could do that if you wanted. Adam and Eve didn't drop dead when they ate the fruit. No, but they were separated from God and they were sent out of the garden. And that's similar here that this is an eternal separation from God. When I'm talking about this, there's other scriptures you can pull out. You could pull out Romans 3.23 like Jeff did. Make sure that they know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Include yourself in that. Identify as a sinner. Don't distance yourself from them. Do everything you can in the conversation to to relate to those people. You might want to summarize the left side for them then and say, so what we've said in this conversation is what we deserve for our sin, our missing the mark for how God's created us to live is eternal separation from God. That doesn't sound like good news. Would you like to hear the good news? If they're not tracking with you, at any point in the illustration, I want you to know it's a conversation tool. It's okay to exit the illustration and just go back to talking to them if, you feel, if, if they're glazing over at some point. But 
We've got this but here in the chasm. Uh, a verse to go with the but would be Isaiah 59.2. It says that our iniquities, and I'll break that down for people because that's a big word. Our, our sins have created a separation from us and God. And so that's why I have these, uh, these lines here. It's like the Grand Canyon, is that our sin has separated us from God. And if you, were, if you brought the, you or the longest long jumper in the, or the best long jumper in the world, it wouldn't matter. If you tried to jump across the Grand Canyon, you'd both end up in the same place. That's what we're trying to get at on the left, hand, left side of the illustration, that people understand that. If they get that, it's really good to move on to the, the right side. And I'm just going to do these three really quickly here. What I would do is take them one at a time, and I'd write down free gift. I'd help them to see how that's completely opposite of wages. Wages is something we earned or we deserved. A free gift, it's only by grace that God has given us this gift. It's not because we deserve it at all. I'd enter into a whole conversation about that because grace is not something that people readily understand. Um, then I'd talk to him about God. I'd point out exactly what Jeff said. I'd have him tell me anything they know about the God of the Bible, and I'd make sure and write down next to that that God is pure and that God is holy and that God is just. And if we as sinners were come into the presence of a holy God, like he said, we'd disintegrate. That's what they need to understand more and more about God. And then lastly, I'd talk about eternal life. And eternal life, if, if death is eternal separation from God, eternal life isn't like in the song, in heaven there is no, no, you know, like Iowa City's, you know, whatever, whatever they think about heaven. But what we want them to see is that heaven is eternity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what's awesome about it. It's not that it's some paradise. It's that we get to spend the rest of eternity with God. That's good news. What you want to help people understand and feel here is that there's a juxtaposition. There's, there's this what we deserve and then there's this what God wants to give us. And if they feel that, they feel that these two things don't seem like they would go together, that's when it's so fun to weave in with your best artistic abilities, okay, uh, hopefully better than mine, um, this, the cross of Jesus Christ. This is where I will enter in with 1 Peter 3.18 and tell these people that, um, that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. And if I did it on paper, I'd actually fold it for them and, and make them see that it's like God brought the Grand Canyon together. It is literally a miracle that, that a sinner could be brought together with the holy God and that through the death and resurrection of Jesus that this is possible for you today. This is where we all need to step out of the formula and step into a conversation with someone and help them to see the beauty of the hope that we can find in Jesus and the grace of God. And that point, like, just feel free to go off course and tell them how good it is and how good a news it is. But then we need, they need to know that the one way to respond to this, the Bible uses the words repent and believe. We'll use the words turn and trust help people to see that they need to turn from, in order to respond rightly to this good news, they need to turn from living for whatever it is that's distract them from living for the glory of God and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's like a parachute you put on. You gotta trust that that thing's gonna, when you pull the cord, it's gonna hold you, right? That for the rest of eternity, what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection, his perfect record, his righteousness in your place is what's going to carry you into eternity. And the good news is, like Jeff said, there is a, a response ongoing in our lives to the gospel, and that's where you could talk to somebody about what it means to live with Jesus as your Lord. That's in this verse too. 
there's an open door to that conversation. But the way we identify, I think, what conversation is next is you could use stick people or you could just use exes like me here. And, and you want to help someone discern, are they this person? Are they this person? Or are they this person? The first one over here on the left, that's a person that's not really interested in spiritual things right now. Um, the next person is somebody that has questions. There's something holding them back from turning and trusting in Jesus. And the last one is somebody who has, uh, is 100% sure that they're going to put their, they've, they're going to spend eternity with Jesus, not because of what they've done, but because of what he's done for them. So I, I've been asked to like, as we wrap up this series, prayer, care, and share, um, to tell you a story. And uh, the last time that our church stepped into talking about evangelism was last February. And Doug Fern gave this sermon. And I remember he ended the sermon just challenging us to think about one person we might share with. Well, that week I had a couple of meetings on my calendar. And I was like, well, these two, I'm going to go after this. And, and there was young, one young man in, in specific. I met him at the Java House downtown on a Thursday. And uh, I ended up using this illustration. And I shared the gospel with him. And, uh, and that day, this young man put his faith in Jesus. It was so fun. I remember leaving that meeting, calling my wife, being so overjoyed. I remember coming home, and at dinner that night, I just couldn't get enough of it. You know, I'm just talking about it. And Emily's, like, feeding me softballs, you know, throwing them up so I can hit them. And, like, with our family, and just talking about how good God is and what he's done uh, for this young man. And I remember our four-year-old, Kate, just dials in. And she starts asking her daddy questions in a way that she'd never asked before. Because she's understanding this good news for the first time. And I remember uh, the thing that we knew Kate didn't understand was sin, right? Like she just didn't get it. And that day, she gave me this laundry list of all the things that the Holy Spirit was convicting her of. Because she knew that she had started, she had been living for something else other than the glory of God. And I was like, ah, oh, ding, 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 this is, this, there's something new here. God's doing something. And so Emily and I got a chance to just walk through the good news of Jesus with Kate to, that night. And, and as she put her faith in Jesus, we talked about, uh, I, in my journal, I hashtagged it, uh, party in heaven. Okay, because Luke 15 talks about how when one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. The angels are throwing a party, right? And so Kate goes to school the next day, y'all. And she goes to her teacher. Teacher, teacher, do you know what happened last night? There was a party in heaven, right? And, and so her teacher asked a few clarifying questions and pretty necessary. And, and Kate says, do you believe in Jesus? She just squares her up in the middle of attendance. And, and she asked her that question. And it turns out her teacher did believe in Jesus. Uh, and, and it was so fun to be a part of something that just through obedience, through taking one person that I wanted to share with, that there's this domino effect to see what God can do in our community. That if, if each one of us would pray and we would care, and we would share. It's exciting to think about what God would do um, through this. If you're that person uh, with a question mark over your head, we would also invite you after the service. Just come up, talk to an elder, talk to somebody at the Connect Center. Um, but will you all pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for the good news of the gospel that uh, we can't even fit it in an illustration uh, because it's a message of hope. It's a message of joy. It's a message of reconciliation. Uh, and you are a God of grace that comes into our mess, uh, brings us grace and forgiveness and redemption. We just say thank you, God. And I pray that we would believe that wholeheartedly so much that we would believe it, that it would overflow in sharing with the world around us. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. 
If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.